my desire is that we would we would stay for a while in the in the softness and tenderness of God, not only in this service but for our, for the coming services as well. We'll we'll have that focus on engaging with the softness and tenderness of God, and it was it was wonderfully evident this morning in worship. I believe there's a, there's a great invitation for us, and that's what we'll be ministering on. The gentle and unconditional love of God, His humility, His lowliness. I want us to bathe in that. And I hope that as we behold Him in that, we will become like Him, as Scripture says. And that in this way of love, um, we will be made perfect and made one. In so far throughout the years, <laughs> we've not always been so great at being at being soft and gentle and loving. Why are why why are you giggling? <laughs> we've done many things well, but we were not that mature with when it comes to gentleness and kindness. We did rather well when it comes to what, what is right and what is better and what's wrong and what has to be fixed, and we went at it well, we always have. And that's all good, but the way in which we do these things, we have to mature in. Um, scripture speaks about love not as a gift, not as a but as a way, it says, let me show you the most excellent way in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. It's a way. It's the way in which we do things. That's the love that we're called to. And um, I am going to preach, and I need to say this, um, so as to not to lead you astray. But I'm definitely preaching this in my brokenness and in some shame of my own dreadful shortcomings in the space. Yet I, I asked Pastor Sias once, how can you preach something if you're so far from it yourself? And he's response to me in a very shofar-like manner was, well, you don't preach yourself, do you? You preach the truth. So I will be trying to preach the truth, but definitely not my, much of myself. Okay. So don't look at me and think, wow, this man that speaks these words of love and of kindness and gentleness from the pulpit, let me observe the way he he does it, and maybe I can learn something. I would be, um, I would do well in some other things that you could look up to, but I'm working on this one, and I'm very aware of it. I would like to impart my desire for it unto you. That I can definitely give you. I have a deep desire. 
deeper than ever. Whereas speaking about love and, and soft things, is, it doesn't always feel that powerful. It doesn't feel like we're going to change the world and achieve much. Feels like something that I would be like when I'm old, Tani, and I, after I've done everything. <laughs> when I think of these things, I think of old Tani's, okay? I think we should become more like old Tani's. You know what I mean. So just have old um, Tani's in your mind when, when I'm trying to become more like old Tani. So I'm not preaching from victory today, but I am preaching as I clearly feel the leading of Christ and as he's busy um, busy piercing my own soul. A disclaimer as we're going to go into this teaching on love, um, there are many different um, words used for the word love. We're not going to go into that. We're going to speak primarily around the concept of agape love, that is the love in the great commandment. So that is the love with which we should love God and others. So if we speak about love, that's what we're speaking about. The unconditional, other regarding, self-sacrificing love of God that we called with. So this links to what we've been doing the last while. We've preached a couple of messages on church, what it is, on the body, that we are called to it. Then we made that practical with a whole series on spiritual gifts. Um, and we used scriptures, the, especially the scriptures in <coughs> Ephesians chapter 4, which speaks about gift, and 1 Corinthians 12, which speaks about Gifts and uh, Romans 12, which speaks about a different set of gifts. And if you were with us, you would know this. And interesting, and Ruth also pointed this out, but in all of them, there is this very clear metaphor used of the, of the body of, of Christ, speaking to the church as, as, um, as, as his body. Very clear in all four of them. And in all four of them, then he also speaks of these gifts within them and lists a couple and in all three of them also, he makes explicit reference to the most excellent way, love, in all three of them. And it's not by accident. We are a body with gifts to love. We're speaking about body, we've spoken about our gifts, we're going to speak about love, because above all, we should clothe ourselves with love, and that will bind us together in perfect harmony. And that's what we've been ministering on. This is the way. That will bind us together. Not better worship, not better teaching, not better coffee. So, I want to say again that love is a way. It is a, it is a very practical way in which we do things, in, the, in, in, in um, the way we act. It's not in what we do, because what we do can very often, 
of, we can think, oh, what I'm doing is love. We can justify it like that and say, while I am serving at church, isn't that love? Well, I don't know. Might not be at all. Right? Love is the way in which it is done. So it's not what you do that is love. It's not, I mean, just take the example. If you would buy your wife flowers, if you go to the store, you buy the flowers, you come home, you see your wife, you look at her, you don't say anything, you just kind of throw the flowers on the kitchen table and you walk away. Did the fact that you bought the fl- your, your wife flowers love her? Of course it didn't. doesn't matter what you say. But it's not only that. It's, it's, it's also that it's not, and we get caught in this also, it's not the why behind it either. It might be a bit of it. But sometimes we'd say, well, because I love you, I am doing this. So it's love that is driving me. But it's not the why, it is primarily in the how. Because still, if I do not listen, if, if, if I think, well, because I love you, I, lo- I decide in my heart of hearts, I love you, therefore, so the why is the reason, the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm justifying myself by saying, because I love you, I do this or that. First of all, you're making a judgment on your heart which is deceitful above all things. You're saying, well, I know inside of me that this is because I love you. Which it might be, but it might definitely not be. Because your heart is so deceitful, you won't know. And there's more likely than not a couple of other things coupled with that love in the depths of your heart right now. A bit of pride. A bit of hurt. So we can't only say that we're going to do this from a place of love. Love is a practical thing. It's in how we do it. Because even if I would do something from a supposed place of love, but I wouldn't do it in the way Scripture teaches love is what love is like. So not patient, not gentle. If I would, then the person receiving it would not be feel, they wouldn't feel loved. So then it doesn't matter what the intention of your heart was really. You didn't love if it wasn't patient and kind and gentle. So it's in the how, it's in the how. We're going to look at that a bit. We're going to walk through the, the three passages that we've been in. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and Romans 12. And we're just going to explore a little bit of what it, it says about love. Um, and I hope that it would bless you. And I hope that we could 
all the more start to move into a more humble, soft, meek, honoring, gentle way. And when we do serve each other, that we would be bowed down in service rather than serving and having a record being built up to our own credit. So if you would, and this is part of the show for sin that I'm very much a part of, if you would think of someone that speaks in tongues of angels and of men, he's got this testimony where he was in Malawi, and then he just started speaking in tongues, and then he was actually to Chewa, and then he preached the gospel to them in a different language. Wow. That same man that speaks in tongues like that, he's got the gift of prophecy, which Scripture says is the greatest of all the gifts. He's got the gift of prophecy. It's clear. He just hears God, man. And this man understands mysteries and has knowledge beyond. When he preaches, you hang on his lips. You're like, wow, how did you bring that all together? How did you see that? Imagine that man I'm talking about. Imagine the man, that same man has got faith to move mountains. He's coming to you the one day and he's saying, we are going to fill up Cape Town Stadium in a month from now with worship. And you're like, no way. And then a month later we're there. And it's full. We wouldn't want Table Mountain moved. We'd rather have the stadium full. That same man with those tongues and the prophecy and the understanding of mysteries, that same man that moves the mountains and fills the stadiums, that same man has given all his possessions away to the poor. He regularly does that. And that same man has given his own body over to hardship to suffer for the kingdom of God. Who would say that's an amazing man of faith? Can you picture that man? Have you ever met such a man? But then, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give my possessions to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, But do not have love, I gain nothing. (laughs) He says, I will be a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I will be nothing, I will gain nothing. We can be spiritually huge and be absolutely nothing in the sight of God. Are you with me? We sometimes attach value to things that are very valuable but can be very dangerous to us as well. So, 
what does he call us to? Now, the reason, obviously, I'm reading 1 Corinthians 13 is because we, uh, Stefani teaches on 1 Corinthians 12, and then the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12 says, yet I'll show you, the, let me show you the most excellent way. And then he goes into love. And sometimes you could feel, ah, oh, so these, these gifts are just are almost a lesser way. So the love and the kindness is the greater way. So let's forget about the gifts. But then in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, he says, now eagerly desire spiritual gifts and walk in the way of love. So he brings them all together and says, remember to do both well. So we should walk in love while we walk out these gifts. So what is love then? If the man of God with the faith that moves mountains and fills stadiums, the one who gives his possessions to the poor, is that not love? Not necessarily. You know this. You know the scripture at least. When someone sends you, say, hey, I've got a prophetic word for you. I think 1 Corinthians 13. It's like someone sends you Psalm 23. You're like, yeah, I know Psalm 23. It's not about knowing Psalm 23. Have you read it? Have you? Have you? Have you? It's more than you could fathom. You could be on it for the rest of your life. 1 Corinthians 13 is the same. I deliberately don't preach on it at weddings. Um, Because then it kind of loses its power, but... In my mind, but here it is. What is love? Love is our ultimate aim is love. Our ultimate aim is to love. Our ultimate aim is is to be patient. Our ultimate aim is to is to be kind. Have you ever thought of that? Our ultimate aim is to not envy, to not want. Ultimate aim is to not be boastful, to not be proud. It's amazing how we can, in the most acceptable of ways, inform people of how great we are. It should be our greatest aim to not dishonor others. To not be self-seeking. To not be easily angered or irritable. And keep no record of wrongs. It should be our ultimate aim to not delight in evil. I hope you don't delight in evil. Yet many Christians, oh, and you've heard me on this a hundred times. Yet many Christians watch series. Worldly rubbish. I'm not saying they all are, but I'm sure 99.5% of them are. Worldly rubbish. You're delighting in evil. You're delighting your soul in evil. It will definitely take you far from God. but I hope you don't delight in other evils as much. But we rejoice with the truth. Always protects trust, hopes, and preserves. And then um, what does the next verse say? I think it should say love is 
impossible. Only this is more to achieve in one lifetime than anyone has ever achieved in one lifetime. So our best attitude towards this should be one, and I'm reading a book by Andrew Murray right now on this. You should all read it. Our best attitude towards this should be one of humility. That would be our best win. Saying, oh God, (laughs) I am not. I cannot. I am dreadfully broken. I need you. Would you please, would you please, would you please make me kind? Would you please make me soft? Would you please make me gentle? Would you please take this irritability out of me? And we would do well to pursue that more than we We spend so much effort, you know, chasing goals and many things. (laughs) We would do so well if we would run after this with the same fervor. Our greatest aim, our greatest desire. That's 1 Corinthians 13. I thought of just um, touching that, not going into too much detail. Just going to make a couple of notes on each of these scriptures we find in the three different passages. But from that, can you ask yourself, what is your greatest aim? Do you want to be? Do you want? To be kind more badly than what you want to be the owner of an incredibly successful business. What do you want more? Or your career or your ministry? Or what do you want more? Do you want something more? Or do you actually want to be kind? Or is it this small thing on the peripherals that you never even think about? But God is inviting us into that softness. You know, that's why the Pharisees missed missed Jesus. That's one of the reasons, because he came gentle and lowly. And they were expecting a mighty military warrior. And they missed him completely. And we still like that. We still like to do mighty exploits for God. More than what we like to be kind and humble. And it's more difficult to be kind and humble than to do mighty exploits for God. Ephesians 4, let's move to Ephesians. The first verse in Ephesians 4, where the fivefold gifts are found, it says, as a prisoner of the Lord. So it's, you know, it's Paul writing, saying, I urge you. To live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How would you live if you would live worthy of the calling that you have received? Would you live in excellence and in and intelligence and long hours and efficiency? 
Would that be the way? That's the way most of us do it. That's the way most of us look at it. You give me something, I'll steward it well, I'll work hard at it, I'll make it happen. That's my calling. You know, that's, that's a best case scenario. Most Christians don't really care enough to even pray about what they might be called to. But he's saying, if you want to live in a manner worthy of the calling that you have given all of us, regardless of the calling that you, you have, it's, it's not primarily those things. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Could you close your eyes and just close your eyes. Just try to picture someone. Picture their demeanor. What does it look like to be completely humble and gentle? Alive, bowed down. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. If you want to stay in church for long, you'll have to learn to bear with one another in love. This should be the disposition of a Christian, as it was the disposition of Christ. This is the way, this is the way we should do our callings. All of us. That's how Ephesians 4 starts. And then it goes on, it speaks about the body, it speaks about the gifts. And then after that, once again, it goes into the way. And we, we, we read uh, Ephesians 4.15. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up in every respect to mature, to, um, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So they just spoke about the fivefold gifts, which are, in a way, leadership gifts. All of them speak. Apostolic people, they speak. They communicate vision. Prophetic people speak what they see, what they hear God say. That's what prophets do. Evangelists share the gospel. They don't only think about it. Teachers teach with their mouth. They speak things. And pastors counsel and care. They all speak. You see, most of them speak. So it would be, it would be fitting For Paul to write about how we should speak when we're operating in these gifts. We should speak the truth in love. Now we've heard that, right? Speaking the truth in love. Speak the truth, but in love. And then we say, well, the truth in love is, well, I do love you, so I'll just tell you the truth. No shofar. You see, who is truth? Jesus. Truth is not a set of 
objective things that makes logical sense. Even biblical sense. That is not full truth. Full truth is Jesus. He is a person. He is not a set of arguments. He's not a doctrine. Truth is not a doctrine. Who is love? Jesus. So if he would speak a lot of doctrinally accurate things to someone that might reflect Jesus, but we don't do it in love, in other words, being gentle and kind, it's really confusing what we are busy, what we're busy doing, right? Because we we're sharing a little bit of Christ without Christ, but we're calling it Christ. So that person cannot see Jesus right there. They cannot see him. They can hear something that sounds like him. They can't see him. And if you can't see him, you can't become like him. You can't be transformed into his image. And because Jesus is truth, it would be true if it would be doctrinally true and loving. The one without the other is not the truth because it isn't Jesus. So sharing the truth, doctrinal truth, the words of truth with someone without love is, I want to go as far as to say, a lie because it misrepresents Jesus. And the hearer is left disempowered and confused without them even realizing it. So we cannot afford to speak the truth if it's not in love. But hey, I, I do that so much. I do that so much. I misrepresent Jesus so much. Have you ever? What great reason for humility. What great reason for repentance. What great reason to praise God for his grace and his mercy without which we would be completely lost. When you know that you have done this, repentance is our key. In making amends. I think we will always do this. I think we will. Not always. We will, we will often. We will we'll be guilty of it. Husbands and wives. Do we so often speak the truth. But not in love. With our spouses. But we're so justified. Hell we're justified because it's true. But it wasn't kind was it? It was as. As if you were lying to your spouse. That breaks my heart. Because I'm so guilty. So I want to call you to humility. Because then you don't have to have it right. You can just fall before an almighty God and say, God, help me. 
And that very demeanor would already get you halfway there. The very demeanor of I am not, but you are. The very demeanor of I esteem others higher than myself because I cannot see them fully, but I see me fully, and it's terrible. Would have me hold them in high esteem. Humility and repentance is our is our key. And as we speak the truth in love, you know, we see Christ who is the truth in love. And Scripture says, when you behold Him, you become like Him. So when we do speak the truth in love with each other, we're showing them a picture of Jesus. And when they see a picture of Jesus, Scripture says they become like Him. There's transforming power in it when we speak the truth in love. Then they can actually conform to that in some way. The spiritual dynamics are then in the, right, in the right place for them to receive and be transformed. And so we will grow up and become the mature body of Him. Can we do our best to speak the truth in love with each other? When we realize we did not, can we just send them a voice note and repent? That would be great. Might not be a, a quick fix, eh? And remember now, if someone doesn't speak the truth in love to you, do you think you would be right to say, hey, that was not the truth in love that you just gave me? Would that be true? Would that be love? <laughs> Suck it up. That's one of the best anthems if you want to stay in church for long. You have to suck it up. <laughs> Let's move to Romans 12. Makes it very practical. Love must be sincere. So it's not just about eyes. It's, it's not just about trying to be nice, but in my heart, I really want to stab you. It's about having it sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Here it says what it looks like when love is sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. See, in Romans 12, we read about the gifts that Ruth taught us on that we are mostly born with. Things that just come natural to us and we develop them and apply them within the kingdom of God. But then the way in which they should, what they should look like, we are definitely not born with. And we should trust God for this. But this is what all of them should look like. You can't say, I'm not the servant, so I don't do hospitality. I'm the aloof teacher. You can't say that. Because it doesn't fall within 
what genuine love is. So let's look at that just quickly. If love is to be genuine, sincere, and I want you to assess yourself and allow God to cut you to the heart, if, if He hasn't already. And if you aren't cut to the heart by this, and if you don't gasp in desperation for more of this, then, if I were you, I'd fall on my face before God and say, Oh God, would you save this wretched soul of mine? who doesn't even have a desire for the greatest thing there is to desire, that is to love. Would you have mercy on me and change me? If you do have the desire, do the same. The difference between the one who makes it and the other one is, is that. It's, it's that thing of David. You know, you know, David messed up, right? A lot. On a massive scale. But God delighted in his heart. You know what? Because he ran back to God every time. He ran back to God every time. He poured his heart out before God. He would even accuse God. But then he would repent of it. Because he knows it is wrong. And he would worship God in his brokenness. He would run to God with his sin. He would run to God with his shame. He would run to God with his victory. He would run to God with everything. So whatever the state is that you're in, run to God. Fall on your face and ask for his grace. That would be the answer to wherever you're at. And continue at that because one day when we're in heaven, um, our chance to do that would be over because we would be transformed and would be different. If love is to be sincere, then we should hate what is evil, cling to what is good. We already looked at that. In, uh, you can go to the next slide on one. We already looked at that. We should hate what is evil, cling to what is good. There's a lot of, of tolerating it's like a doctrine of, of tolerance around in the secular world. Now, the, this can sound chauffeur as well, but we should definitely in our hearts hate what is evil. Otherwise, love will not be genuine. We should be devoted to one another in love. Devoted. That means you need to be committed to members of the body. Committed to them. Are you committed? We've been speaking to that a bit. Selflessness. Honor one another above yourselves. In that book of Andrew Murray, he wrote and says, so, so people ask him on this, you know, esteem others higher than yourself honor, and honor, honor others above yourself. He says, then people come to me and say, but listen, objectively, I'm smarter than that person. I know the word of God better than them. I'm more gentle and humble than them. They are wretched, terrible sinners who just, like, how? And, I mean, uh, there is no way, like, within godliness or in the world, in the ways of the world, that I could esteem this man higher than me. How can I? Ask yourself that. If you look at, other people you esteem lower. 
because they just can't think the way you do. They just can't do what you do. They objectively, real time, can't. And he says, so they're asking, but how can I esteem them higher than myself? And then he just answers very shortly and says, well, if that's what you ask, then it means you understand uh, very little of what humility is at all. I will leave it there. There's so much (laughs) in this. Imagine we could esteem others higher than ourselves. We could honor them above ourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. The Lord so loved the world that he gave. He loves by giving. There are so many in our congregation and in our Burundi congregation and in so many that are in great need. Are you planning another nice weekend away while they can't send their children to school? Inviting and hosting, practicing hospitality. Is your house clean and ready to host bachelors? Hello? Why are you looking? Why are you looking down? Not ready. Uh, Ben? All right, getting there. Prepare your place to practice hospitality in and out of season. Um, Then we're called to have a holy tongue. Bless those who, who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. If we are to use our tongues to speak blessing over our enemies, how much more should we just release blessing and encouragement over our brothers and our sisters? That's what our tongue should be for. We should have empathy with each other. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Are are we allowing ourselves to feel what others feel? Are, Are you allowing yourself to cry when they cry? To rejoice when they rejoice? Or is there that arrogance in you that says, Oh, well, you are rejoicing, but I have no reason to rejoice because my life is not as great as yours. It's arrogance. That's esteeming you lower than me. The humble man can rejoice with the one who is rejoicing, even though in his life things are falling apart. I honor you more than me. Getting stuck in how you feel is not the way of Christ. And I'm not making little of what you feel. I'm just speaking of the way of Christ. Fight for harmony. Live with harmony in one another, he says. Don't fight with each other for what is right and what is better and how it should be and why it isn't the way that it should be. Fight for harmony. Fight for harmony. Contend in your heart that there would be a greater closeness between you and whoever you speak to right now after you've spoken with them. Contend in your heart that after small group, everyone would be closer to each other than what they are now rather than you be right about the way you look at at things. 
Can we fight in our hearts for harmony? It's difficult for people like me. And then, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, humility. Are you willing to associate with people of low position, or do you want there to be just a little gap? Do you want everyone just to know that you don't really fully associate with the person who's speaking to you right now? Look at your heart. Would you rather speak to someone else? Would you feel more you when you connect with someone that you esteem highly? You don't feel you when you connect with someone that you would actually not want others to have see you associate with. Oh, and church is a great place for that because it's not that homogenous. Is that the right word? Can we all can we all stand? And the worship band can come up. We can sing that shofar song again, Matthew. I think it would be good. So in a way, I'm just setting the scene. I'm just mentioning a lot of stuff today. I'm just opening up this box, <laughs> saying, let's look at it. We can't work through it all. You work through it for the rest of your life. We can't minister through it all right now. But allow God to take you on a journey. Who of you would love for God to take you on this journey and for you to grow in love and everything we spoke about today. And I know that everyone would raise their hand. So we're not going to do an altar call because there's not enough space in the front and we won't have any leaders to pray because I certainly am not the one to anoint them. But can we worship, can we look unto our God and Savior, the one who even though He holds all of, of, of the power, even though... He's enthroned, even though He created everything. Humbled Himself, became a servant of man, washed the feet like of, of His disciples, who didn't make much of Himself, and was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Could we look to Him? Because when we look to Him, that gets imparted into us. The only two characteristics he ever gave himself while on earth is he said, I am gentle and lowly. It's the only characteristics he ever gives us. He's gentle and lowly. Father, I pray that as we look to you now that we would be able to behold you we would see your gentleness and your lowliness oh how can you be a lowly God you are the most high you are the one exalted above all 
Yet in your heart, you are gentle and lowly. I pray that you would teach us your mysteries. Teach us your ways. Show us the way of love. Show us the most excellent way. Transform us by showing us who you are. Let us cry out to God in our hearts as we we worship. Let us be honest with Him. Pray that you would journey with us all in this. To reflect your heart. We surrender to you and ask that you will do in us what only you can do. We see our state and we cry out, God, would you save us? Would you sanctify us for your glory? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. I bless you with peace that overflows and the love of God that is poured out in our hearts through His Holy Spirit. Be blessed and enjoy the fellowship after the service. Don't be too hard on each other. But try your best to smile and go lower. (laughs) Have a wonderful week.